I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The New Statesman. From Lee Anderson's attacks on Sadiq Khan on GB News. I didn't directly apologize to Mayor Khan, which I'm not going to. Not why I've got a breath in my body. To Liz Truss's appearance with Steve Bannon. It could be a radical Islamic party win in that by-election. This week has been nothing short of a conspiratorial catastrophe for the Conservative Party. Hello, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor at The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor, and Andrew Marr, our political editor. Thanks Hello. so much for coming in, both of you. So a lot has happened this week, and um, we should keep our listeners up to speed with some of the comments that we've been hearing from our politicians. So I suppose it began with Suella Braverman's article in The Telegraph. She wrote, the truth is that the Islamists, the extremists and the anti-Semites are in charge now. And what followed was Lee Anderson, who until earlier this week was a Conservative MP, saying that Islamists had got control of Sadiq Khan and London was being run by his mates. And he's doubled down on the comments since then, refusing to apologise, saying to apologise would be a weakness if you actually still think that you're right. And he's had the whip suspended. But it's been very difficult for ministers to defend that decision. They've been saying his remarks were, were wrong, but they've struggled to say that they were racist or Islamophobic. Or what wrong means. Exactly. So, OK, they're wrong. Why were they wrong? They were wrong. Why were they wrong? They were wrong. And so on. It's become utterly absurd. Yeah. And it's because they are too scared to call out Islamophobia. They're too scared to call out racism because they fear they will lose yet more voters to Reform UK if they do. Yes, yes. And and we've had other politicians, Tory politicians, getting into trouble over this. The former London minister, Paul Scully, I think he was actually trying to uh, move the debate on from Anderson's comments, but he actually ended up suggesting there were no-go areas in parts of Tower Hamlets in London and, and Spark Hill in Birmingham, which which is very much a, a hard right trope. It is a hard right trope. He's not a hard right politician. No. He's basically a good guy, I think. I don't know how he got himself into that mess. I mean, that's, it just shows everybody is scrabbling to try and keep reform at arm's length. They are so scared they're going to lose another 40 or 50 seats if reform go up to 12, 13, 14 points in an election. That is 
driving them or a bit demented. Yeah, and we'll come on to Liz Truss, but let's talk a bit about these comments that these politicians have been making about is- Islamic extremists. Rishi Sunak has since come out and said that there's a, what is it, Rachel, that there's yes. a consensus that we're living under mob rule or we're uh, being influenced by mob rule? There is a growing consensus that mob rule is replacing democratic rule. So that was Rishi Sunak's comments this week. It's all got very heated. And I think this is mostly a response to the, I think, slightly separate and very serious issue of MPs' safety and MPs feeling that they can't speak out in the way that they would like to or they fear doing so or they fear voting in a particular way because of the threats that they have had to themselves and their families. We talked a lot about that on the podcast last week. And there's been a growing conversation about MP safety and the fact that these threats are coming from all different groups. We've had two tragic murders of MPs in the last 10 years, one committed by a far-right extremist, one by an Islamic extremist. And you are getting more MPs speaking out about the threats they've received, the guidance they've had from police about how to keep themselves safe, and the strain that is taking on them as they try and do their jobs. And most people go into politics because they care about people and they do want to engage with the public and how that actually become harder. You had Harriet Harman earlier this week suggesting that maybe MPs should be uh, allowed to work from home, virtual voting, hybrid voting like we saw during COVID, a big pushback against that from a lot of other MPs who say, mm. no, like we shouldn't be intimidated. We need to be able to be there and, and do our jobs. So it's become part of a, a much wider conversation, which I think is a very legitimate conversation to have. But then you get Rishi Sunak coming in and saying there's a consensus that the, the, the protests that we've seen in, in Westminster are effectively mob rule. And I'm not sure that has helped de-escalate the situation very much. Yeah. Why is that Sunak's line? Well, he uh, he suffered, I guess, from the fact that Labour scored a major tactical victory when the Speaker changed that amendment. Yeah. They were able to avoid all of their MPs appearing to vote against an immediate ceasefire and that there was undoubtedly an issue around, around their safety. I've talked mm-hmm. to an awful lot of MPs, and this is not made up. People are being screamed at in the streets. They've had their houses surrounded. This is real, and one has to say that to start with. So Starmer, really with the kind of the new authority of a prime minister in waiting almost, was able to get that tactical victory in the House of Commons. Mm-hmm. But I think Sunak has responded by trying to turn it into a strategic defeat for Labour. His line again and again, you heard in Prime Minister's questions this week, repeatedly, is that Labour is supine, is giving in to extremism, is pathetic, is spineless and so forth. And that somehow Labour MPs are too scared to speak up and had to be protected by the Speaker. We Conservatives are not like that. Out there, there is the mob. If you are against the mob, stand with the Conservatives, is his message. Now, there is no mob out there. I think to say that we are sliding towards mob rule is as extreme and excessive as Suella Bravman saying that Britain was being beaten into submission by Islamists. I see absolutely no sign of that. What we've seen is a lot of people who are naturally and rightly very angry about what's happened in Gaza. When you've got nearly 30,000 people, many of them children, who've been killed in Gaza recently, emotions are going to be very high. And we've seen it again and again in British history. We've seen it from you know Lloyd George speaking out against the Boer War and huge scenes of violence in the centre of Birmingham all the way through the 20th century. 
country through the suffragettes, uh, through protest after protest. The miners at Orgreave, George Square in Glasgow, 1919, big protest, the tanks brought in, all of that. None of this is new. And I think what Rishi Sunak is saying now reminds me very strongly of what Margaret Thatcher famously said in the 1980s about the miners being the enemy within. Mm. And what I'm really worried about is this attempt to transfer all the big problems we face as a society into a kind of smelly, stinky little war about one community against another. We see you. We see you is what we should be saying. Well, yes. And, and that, I mean, it's a long-standing issue, particularly within the Conservative Party, this idea of using Muslims as the enemy within. It was the name of Saeed Avasi, who is a Conservative peer's book, The Enemy Within, and she gave her insights into what it was like as a Muslim at the top of the Conservative Party, how difficult it was. A very brave and outspoken woman, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rachel, they've kicked Lee Anderson out for his comments, but as we said before, they've struggled to say why. What I mean, is it a tactical position that they're taking in not calling his comments racist or anti-Islam? It's a balance that they're trying to strike, and I don't think that there is middle ground actually the, I don't think that middle ground actually exists but what they're trying to do is on one hand say yes these comments are wrong and that's why he's not in the party anymore and actually uh, Rishi Sunak at Prime Minister question said he dealt with it very quickly very promptly I'm not sure how promptly he did I mean CCHQ was backing Lee Anderson before he got suspended they also don't want to upset the right of the party. And there are quite a few right-wing MPs who don't think there was anything wrong with what Lee Anderson Mm -hmm. said. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think Lee Anderson knew that. I think Lee Anderson, similar to Suella Braverman when she was Home Secretary, do you remember she kept coming out with more and more explosive comments on a variety of issues, but on the Rwanda policy and on homeless people and on uh, the the protests in, in London on Remembrance Day. And she was getting more and more extreme, almost like daring Sunak to sack her. And I think this is what you've seen from Lee Anderson in recent months. Obviously, he uh, stood down as vice chair of the Conservative Party so he could oppose the vote against the government on one of the Rwanda amendments. And since then, he's been spoiling for a fight. Like, how far can I go? But it is awkward for Rishi Sunak because he can't specify what it is about Lee Anderson's comments that were wrong and therefore led to Lee Anderson being suspended. But Suella Braverman's comments, where she's basically saying pretty much the same thing. Why those but about ones, the country at large rather than just are, the capital city. Why those yeah. ones are OK. And you also saw at Prime Minister Questions this week, Rishi Sunak asking why it is that Liz Truss, who has well, come on to made some also some very controversial comments, why she still has the whip. So it's, I think, a sense of the right of the Conservative Party trying to pull Sunak in one direction and he's trying to pull the other way, but not so strongly that the party splits and his authority snaps, basically. Tory MPs may say that they're getting letters agreeing with comments like Anderson's. And Conservative members, I think I've got some polling here, 58% say Islam poses a threat to the country. But that's double the proportion of the average population. Surely this kind of rhetoric that we used to only hear from Nick Griffin types and Tommy Robinson types is off-putting to the sort of bang average voter who finds it all quite nasty. It probably is. We should never forget, however, that these kind of sentiments have been rooted 
reported around Britain for quite a long time. They're not spoken in polite society. They're not reported in mainstream newspapers, but they are reported in pubs and clubs. Lee Anderson, coal miner, indeed an office holder in his local Labour Party for a long time before he went to the Conservatives. And he is speaking in tones that certainly a lot of Conservative MPs think many of their constituents also privately use. And so it may be distasteful, but that's what people really think. And that's why we can't go against him quite as hard as the New Statesman or the Times <laughs> newspaper or anybody else in the capital would like us to do is their argument. After the break, we'll discuss what Liz Truss said on stage with Steve Bannon. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And Rachel, you mentioned Liz Truss's comments, and I, I almost think the, these are probably the most significant that have come out this week. She was speaking at CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference in the US, like a Make America Great Again sort of Trumpian rally. And she was next to Steve Bannon when he said, he described Tommy Robinson, who let's not forget is a convicted criminal and a, a prominent far-right activist. He called him a hero and she didn't correct him she or intervene. She stood there with a smirk on with, her face, with, yeah, not quite with, sure what to say. Exactly. And and she also claimed the deep state had taken her down, which is more conspiratorial language. This was what Keir Starmer chose to go on at PMQs because Liz Truss, her reputation in the country is so poor that she is a real vulnerability for the Conservatives. I can sort of see why he chose to go on it, but <laughs> I have to say I think it was a mistake. I think to focus on what a former prime minister said at an American political conference to embarrass the country current Prime Minister. I think what the country wants to hear about is education, jobs, the economy and so forth, real bread and butter issues. And I think Labour have to be very careful about not being too clever by half on these issues. Right. OK, Rachel, what did you make of that? It was a risk because one of the things that has happened repeatedly at, at PMQs over the last kind of six months or so is that Keir Starmer has asked a question about education or the cost of living crisis or the NHS, a legitimate question. And Tunak has responded, you can't trust anything he says he backed Jeremy Corbyn. Like that's mm. been the default answer, even when it bears literally no relevance to the question <laughs> asked. And in this case, Starmer asked three questions that were about Sunak's backing of a former leader. Mm. So opening the door really wide to, well, if we're talking about former leaders, mm. let's talk about Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. So it was giving Sunak the opportunity to use an attack that Sunak really likes to use anyway and to make it relevant. Now, I think Starmer probably knew that was going to happen, given that Sunak mentions Corbyn basically all the time. And he will have made a calculation that opening himself up to that attack was worth it because of just how much a liability Liz Truss is or could be to the Conservatives. So on Liz Truss, she is still the most unpopular British politician. She has a net favourability rating of minus 60. And she went away for a bit in the sort of first mm. half of Sunak's first year in office. And then she was at conference, a Conservative Party conference, and she drew a very wide crowd there. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about she launched pop 
Cons, the the popular conservative movement, and she was talking about that. And her speech in, and she's bringing a book out. She's as bringing well. a book out, Ten Years to Save the West. And her speech, uh, her, her comments at CPAC were basically a really hyped up, turbocharged version of what she was saying at Popcons. But every time she pops up, the British public remember that she exists and remember how damaging that period was. And a lot of people still blame her or associate her for the increase in their mortgage costs, for the cost yeah. of living crisis, for inflation. Now, you speak to more right-leaning economists and they would say mortgage rates were increasing anyway. Yeah. There was a spike, but what we're seeing now is actually nothing to do with Liz Truss. That is not the way a lot of voters see it. They, they, they very clearly associate my monthly mortgage payments are going up because of Liz Truss. Yes. So anything that's can do to just remind everyone that Liz Truss exists and that Rishi Sunak hasn't come out against her, he thinks will work in his favour. The other thing it does is it forces Sunak into a slightly awkward position because the Conservative Party is still quite split on maybe not Liz Truss as a person, but what she was trying to do. There were a lot of Conservative MPs who think that she did have the right ideas and actually she was taking the party and the country in a better direction than Sunak was. And there were even some who believe that if not if she came back, but if someone of her kind of attitude in the party came Mm. back, they would do better in the election, you know, a true Conservative. And so Sunak, in the same way as Lee Anderson, he can't come out to... Far, too hard against her. He can't condemn her outright because there are a lot of MPs in his party who actually prefer her to him. <laughs> yeah. And so how much of a pain is it in number 10? I mean, do they have their heads in their hands whenever Liz Truss is doing some kind of prominent speech? Or Pretty much. I think if you look at the really extraordinary remarks that she made in America, yeah. and by the way, the, the real danger there is importing a, a level of kind of paranoia yeah. and indeed a readiness to embrace the possibility of a race war and all the rest of it from American politics and kind of drag them into to British politics. Yeah. That's the real danger. Where they here. really don't belong. Where they don't belong. But the, uh, I think the bigger question for, for Sunak is every time he tries to do something, he is diverted, knocked off the, the pages. He was trying to go around the country talking about his billions of extra pounds for transport after the cancellation of HS2. That was the big message this week, totally blown away by Lee Anderson. Again and again, he tries to adopt, as it were, a more mainstream agenda that might actually interest voters, gets back to his five promises, five pledges, talking about we've got more immigration figures coming out today and tries to get back to it. And again and again and again, somebody inside the Conservative Party pursuing a culture war, either for their own reasons or because they want to drag the party further to the right and they're more interested in reform and Nigel Farage, who they're fixated about, just blow him away from the front pages. So I think it must be incredible frustration. He's prime minister. You know, he's allegedly in charge of the country. He is not in charge of the day-to-day agenda because his own party won't let him. Yes, and, and really this could have been another week of talking about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. And we've got the Rochdale by-election Absolutely. today, the day we're recording. And it's sort of a miserable state of affairs, isn't it? I mean, it's almost like a choice between talking about anti-Semitism in Labour and Islamophobia in the Conservative Party. I mean, it's And there are depressing. so many more important things to talk about. The other thing that happened this week, for instance, was that uh, John Healy, Labour's shadow defence uh, secretary, mm. made a very important speech. We are really under-defended in this country. We have a hollowed out and increasingly risible armed forces. Nothing works anywhere. And one of the really big challenges facing a future Labour government is how do we start to rebuild uh, the the protection of this country and the armed forces at a time when there is absolutely no money available? These are the kind of questions that we ought to be talking about. But again and again, we're driven back to these wretched culture wars. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to submit a question for us to discuss on a future podcast, you can do so at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. 
If you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and type your reply. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Andrew Marr. We'll be back tomorrow with reactions and analysis from the Rochdale by-election, which is taking place today. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.